0: Welcome to History of the Batman, where we relive the defining moments of one of the most iconic figures in comic art and literature, DC Comics Batman. I'm London, your host, and I first wanted to say everyone who has sent me tweets, emails, DM'd me on Instagram, Facebook, all the social media asking where did the podcast go. First of all, thank you for listening and being loyal listeners and noticing that I took a brief hiatus over the summer and part of the fall. I really appreciate you guys supporting the show and wanting to hear more. I have been very busy moving from we're still in SoCal we moved from LA to another city and the construction on the house has been insane plus other non-Batman related things have happened and I have been very preoccupied making sure my life outside of talking about Batman with you guys has been a little bit more calmer but it's much better and construction's almost done and now I have the time to be able to bring you guys more shows, talk about Batman more. And I still am on Instagram and Facebook, and I actually am continuing my partnership with DC Comics, and I'm still doing history videos for their DC Fans channel. So if you've missed the podcast, you can still go on their YouTube channel and check me out on there. I recently did a batman day unboxing and my latest video is about the myth of the batman god complex it's actually a podcast episode i did way back when i started the show it's probably episode four or five so if you're interested and want to hear more stories than the top five that i discuss in that YouTube video, please go all the way back and listen to the older episodes on the podcast. But I am back, hopefully. I will have more reoccurring episodes and it won't be such a big gap, but I am planning on bringing more episodes within the next few weeks, including this one. And as usual, I always... Come back with a bang, and I think today we have a very special guest with us. He is one of the biggest writers, I would say, in modern Batman comic book history. He has contributed to the Bat Universe in the early 90s and the 2000s, and as many of you know that have listened to my show, he is the co-creator of one of, of perhaps my favorite Batman villain, Bane. We have online with us Chuck Dixon. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Oh, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. You get to talk about Batman.
0: (laughs) It's always fun to talk about Batman. So So I hope you're ready to discuss. We are going to go through as much of... You've written so much and batman and worked on so many characters and i've read it all so we are just going to jump into that in a minute but i first just wanted to kind of give a brief intro i wanted to know kind of about you and when you started to read comics and when was your first kind of experience with the batman character either seeing him, seeing him or reading him what was that for you
1: well, I pretty much started reading comics before I could read, if you know what I mean. You know, just looking at the pictures, trying to figure out what was going on. Yes. And uh, my first exposure to Batman was um, the first 80-page giant.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so it was
1: all old <laughs> stuff. It was stuff mm-hmm. from, you know, long before I was born, you know, classic Joker and Riddler mm-hmm. stuff. So um, that was my first and I, you know, fell in love with it immediately.
0: Right. Definitely. Uh, Before we talk about your journey going into comics, um, looking back at the first 80-page giant and those stories that you read, is any of that, either the stories or the character design, was influential in kind of how you wrote Batman uh, starting in the 90s?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, One of the stories in that volume is The Thousand Strange Costumes of Batman. And... uh, I, I, it was it's always been my favorite Batman story, and it was pretty much the basis for the second Robin miniseries. I've also rewritten it. Uh, I've also satirized it as a Bartman story in Simpsons and a uh, Mermaid Man story in SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> so I've paid homage to that story three times in my career.
0: Nice, and I know you have written a lot for Simpsons and other characters. Right. You did a long run with Simpsons, and just I know it's not Batman, but I am a fan of those. And what was it like writing the Simpsons comics? And Simpsons is such a huge, of course, iconic TV show. What is it like writing comics based off of the show?
1: Well, I you know I was familiar with the show, and you, know, you sort of have to. You know, get the voice of the characters. That was the toughest part, and being funny—being funny is much harder than being dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and yeah, you actually had to bring the comedy to it. And um, yeah, some characters were tougher than others. I could, I never mastered Ralph Wiggum. I could never figure out what would what, <laughs> would, what would come out of that kid's mouth that would sound right. <laughs> but I loved Lisa. Lisa turned out to be my favorite character, right?
0: <laughs> so going into comic. Uh, superhero comics, I suppose. Can you tell us a little bit about you getting into writing comics, either for Marvel or DC, and kind of your journey with that?
1: Well, I, I um, pretty much just worked dead end jobs, uh, and, and you know, and when I got up the nerve, with, you know, I lived in Philadelphia, so I would go up to New York and try to see editors. And uh, I did that for a really, really long time. (laughs) And uh, I worked in children's books a little for a while and advertising and things like that. And, um, you know, drove an ice cream truck, worked security, anything that would put, you know, pay the rent. And uh, But then, you know, I would go to conventions and meet editors and, you know, try to get to know them and then then wangle interviews. Um, But uh, nothing really clicked for me until... um, uh eclipse comics hired me to do some work and then almost simultaneously larry hama and marvel hired me to write some conan stuff and um you know after a while i got the regular conan gig and it was a full-time job so i went full-time comics so that's that's it you know i was just lucky and you know i that they let me in the door finally
0: and when you started working for dc one of the early books or one of the first books that you worked on was robin
1: yeah, Denny, Denny O'Neill had read uh, a book I wrote for Eclipse called Airboy, a, a golden age character. He's like an aviation character. Mm. And, he, and he was young. And uh, Denny liked the way I wrote, you know, a young guy. Yeah, you know, For whatever reason, it clicked with him. And um, he asked me to, you know, come on and try my hand with Robin. And, uh, you know, after talking to him for a while, you know, because I wasn't certain. You know, I, I don't always just say yes to a job. I want to make sure I'm going to bring something to it. Right. And, uh, but he explained to me the importance of Robin. You know, you, you, you're fans of these characters, but you don't really know them until you have to write them. And, uh, you know, he, he explained the importance of Robin and his place in the, Robin, in the in the Batman mythos and how important it was and how important this project would be. And, uh, you know, I came up with a storyline I was happy with, presented it to him, and we were we were off to the races.
0: Before he explained to you kind of the role of Robin within the Batman universe, were you familiar with Dick Grayson or even Jason Todd and his brief stint as Robin in the late 80s? Or did you kind of had to read up on it more? Or what was kind of your preparation for bringing Tim Drake's Robin to the forefront in his own book? Well,
1: I had read Death in the Family, and uh, so I was familiar with all that. And and then um, I, uh, I had been following Alan Grant's. Uh, work on, on Batman. So I, I was reading the stuff, you know, the Tim mm-hmm. Drake stuff, never knowing that I was going to be writing the character. <laughs> so, yeah, I was I was really following the Batman books at that time, luckily. I, I had never, I never thought I'd be on Batman. I never interviewed. I never really talked to Denny uh, before that. And, uh, but, um, yeah, I was familiar enough with it, but, you know, I, I told Denny that Robert wasn't necessarily my favorite Batman character. <laughs> and then he explained the importance that, 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 um, Dick Grayson and Alfred keep Bruce Wayne grounded. Definitely. Otherwise, <laughs> Batman is a is a psycho. You know, he's, he's, he's just a lonely, lonely man. And right. uh, so, um, when he explained it, you know, I realized you know all of my favorite Batman stories had Robin in them, including Thousand Strange Costumes of the Batman. It's, mm-hmm. it's very Robin centric, even though it's about Batman's costumes and death of Robin and, and other stories along the line. That I realized, you know, yeah, I, I, I kind of like the character even though I didn't think I did. And I and I sort of intuited that he was important, you know, just through, through realizing which stories I liked. So, you know, once he explained that to me and everything else, um, you know, I just dug in on it.
0: So what was it like going in, writing Robin, and starting to write about Batman characters or even Batman when you had been reading Batman comics for the longest before then, since well, you I, didn't yeah. know that you were going to be writing Batman?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was... It, it, you know batman is like the um, the world series it's <laughs> it's the gold medal you know it you, you know it, it's something that you it, you know when you've written batman you've written the ultimate American comic book character, which is why I never thought I'd ever get to do it. <laughs> and, and, and after eleven years, I was on I was on Batman titles, you know, Batman and Batman related titles for eleven years. I always got a thrill every time I typed the words Batman Robin. <laughs> I always realized, hey, this is pretty cool. I never took it for granted that you know this was a very very rarefied air I was in comic book wise. So yeah, I mean, I was as thrilled writing my last story as I was writing my first
0: we're going to get into more Batman comics and the different ones you've done. But like you said, you've written so many different Batman stories. Was it ever a time when it was hard to think of a new storyline or to come up with new characters or what, was it just a, such a wealth of um, the universe that Batman has been in that it was easier for you to just keep writing stories for the long period of time that you have?
1: Well, yeah. You know, going into any new franchise, you know, you gotta wonder how how many of these can I write, you mm-hmm. know, until I'm I burn out or I can't think <laughs> of anything else. And uh, but but the most important thing is I I had Danny O'Neill, I had Scott Peterson, I had Darren Vincenzo, I had Jordan Gorfinkel, and I was the editorial crew, and they had faith in me, you mm-hmm. know, they, and that's important. That's important. When you know your editor has your back and the publisher has your back, you know, you can work miracles. And, you know, once I got into it and was really just living in Gotham in my head most of the time, the stories began to compound each other. Each story led to another story, and then, you know, there was that wish list of villains. You know, oh, I want to write a story about this guy, and that guy, right. and that guy, and that guy. So, uh, and then once um, uh, Graham Nolan came on, Detective, with me, mm-hmm. and Graham is an even bigger Batman fan than I am. I think he's the biggest Batman fan alive. <laughs> um, his enthusiasm uh, and, and also ideas uh, that he would throw my way, uh, really just led to more and more and more. So, uh, yeah, it just sort of was, I was on a roll for 11 years.
0: Before we get into Detective, which I do want to touch upon, when you were doing Tim Drake's Robin and you read more about the other Robins that came before him, what did you want to... Uh, How did you want to set up this new persona and set him apart from the others that have taken up the mantle? Because each um, have their own unique style that was brought to the character. So how did you want Tim Drake from the few stories that were written about him before he was given his own book uh, based on the stories you've written? How did you want to set him apart from the others?
1: Well, I, I asked Denny bluntly, "What went wrong with Jason Todd?" Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, because he failed twice. I mean, he failed, then they tried to reboot him, and he failed again. And right. Denny's only excuse was, "You know, sometimes a character gets away from you, uh, mm-hmm. and, and there was no way to bring him back." And uh, I said, "Is it due in part that he didn't really seem to respect Batman?" He, you know, he starts out as a juvenile delinquent, which most comic book readers couldn't relate to in the first place.
0: Right.
1: So um, Denny said, "Yeah, that was part of it, and that was part of the reason why." Um, uh, you know, Tim Drake was created as, as a more cautious individual, a more cerebral person, and mm-hmm. more tech-oriented than action-oriented. He wasn't a natural fit to be Robin. So, so with that setup, I just ran with it. I just leaned into it. That 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 this was a Robin who, if he was in over his head, would call nine one one. You know, or you know, he would he would follow the criminals till he had enough evidence on them. Not necessarily jump in and fight the way Batman or or Dick Grayson would. And so that was the the basis of it, and I thought, well, you know, if this works right, this will make him extremely relatable to the readers. Which, uh, uh, you know, apparently it did because they mm-hmm. they fell in love with the character.
0: Definitely, I know for many, Tim Drake is perhaps their favorite Robin, and uh, in, including Dick Grayson. Um, and I think one of the aspects of Tim Drake being Robin and the relatable things is his relationship that he eventually has with Stephanie Brown, which is a character that you co-created that came out in Detective Comics. And now she has been in so many different roles. She was Spoiler, and then she became Robin and Batgirl, and she's back as Spoiler again. When you first wrote her in Detective, was she planned on being a long-term character, or was she just a one-arc figure that you wrote for that story?
1: Yeah, she was strictly a plot device. I mean, I I came up with the idea of... of You know, what if a supervillain had a daughter or a child, and Mm -hmm. a daughter seemed more interesting. And and what would that that child's uh, rebellious phase would be to be a vigilante, you know, would be the opposite of what the father was. So she became the spoiler because she was going to spoil all of her father Cluemaster's crimes. So um, she was there to ruin everything for him. And uh, it was a one-off thing, and I never really thought any more about it. And then this is back when we used to get letters Mm -hmm. and the letters start coming in and they weren't asking when, you know, they weren't, they weren't asking to see her again. They were asking when will we see her again? Just assuming that we had plans for this character. And so uh, I needed an ensemble cast when Robin went to a monthly book and she seemed like a natural fit, kind of an interesting, you know, foil for him, you know, Mm -hmm. a, a rival vigilante and, you know, and then because she's a girl, the, the romantic tension between the two, and all the rest of it, and um, she wound up being probably the character I created at DC that I have the most affinity for. That seems the most alive in my mind. You know, she really did take on a life of her own for me, and um, you know, and the readers continued to like her and continue to be interested in her uh, so, so much that you know they killed her and had to bring her back.
0: Right.
1: So, <laughs> so that's that's a good feeling. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what were your thoughts about her being killed off?
1: And not then, good. Not good. Not only did they kill her, they killed her in such an ugly
0: they way. Did.
1: It's just like, well, what, what did, did the writer hate this character? <laughs> I mean, what, what's going on here? You know, and then uh, actually I came back briefly to D.C. and then and, and brought her back. Um, and um, so, yeah, I'm glad she's still in existence because, like I said, I had a lot of affinity for her, a lot of affection for her.
0: Since she was supposed to be kind of a one-off character, what was it like, I guess, with the, the editors or just writing the character? did What was it like bringing her back or making her a more reoccurring character since she originally was created just for that one story? And how did her relationship, her romantic relationship with Tim Drake kind of form or why was that part of the thing that you wanted between her and, and Tim
1: well, you know, it, it, it was always, um, I always saw, like, the first 40 or so issues of Spider-Man as a template, you know, mm-hmm. for how to do um, superheroes, especially young superheroes. And, uh, you know, I sort of kept thinking about that. And Peter Parker always had, you know, two women. You mm-hmm. know, you know this, this loser nerd <laughs> always seemed to have <laughs> two women vying for his attention. And uh, I thought, well, you know, that dynamic works, because uh, Tim Drake had Ariana at the time, as a girlfriend, and then here's Spoiler, who's actually, you can relate to more, because they're doing the same thing. Right. They basically have the same vocation. And uh, for some reason, I decided to make, I don't even know if readers know this, but in my mind, Spoiler, is a year older than Tim Drake. Mm-hmm. Um, she comes from a very blue-collar, lower-middle-class background, which I could relate to, it's the way I grew up. And, uh, you know, her mom had, um, was a, you know, worked as a nurse, I mean, you know, she, she had a life totally different from the glamorous life. That uh, Bruce Wayne and, and his wards lived, mm-hmm. and I thought that made her more believable. And she was, you know, like a cut-rate uh, vigilante. She didn't have a lot of money for gadgets, that's why she rode around on a dirt bike, you know, <laughs> a used dirt bike. It was, the, you know, the only thing she could afford as far as transportation, stuff like that. And you know, all of those things sort of made her seem more real to me and and, and more real to the readers. And and then she was kind of from the wrong side of the tracks, and so that you know, you know, that's. I think that that difference made her attractive to Tim. She was so down to earth. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was just something to play around with, you know, uh, character-wise.
0: So you were writing Robin and including having her in Detective. And during the 90s, which I think anyone could argue, it was probably the biggest decade for intercompany crossovers. Yes. <laughs> and you wrote a few. Of Batman crossovers which yeah. um so I wanted to talk about one of them you did a Punisher and a Batman and you worked on the Punisher for Marvel briefly right. so how did that come about that that happened that they both collided and what was that like writing those two characters
1: well um it's it, um Don Daly was the editor on Punisher and, and I was like two years working on Don to do a Batman Punisher crossover and um you know, DC was always all for it, but the stumbling block was Tom DeFalco at Marvel because his the first question in any crossover is what's in it for us, mm-hmm. and we kept trying to explain to Tom that Batman sold so much better than Punisher that it would definitely benefit Punisher to be seen by the Batman audience. Um, right. You know, and then finally, I think uh, Denny O'Neil um, you know threw his hat in the ring to write the first one, mm-hmm. uh, which was which featured the um, Jean Paul Valley right. Batman. And then I got to write the second one with, uh, John Ramita Jr. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, it was the story I wanted to write. I did nothing, didn't change anything. It was my original proposal. And, and the big thing for me was, was, um, to have the Joker basically do a five minute psychoanalysis of <laughs> Frank Castle as Frank Castle's preparing to kill him. And, in which he, he explains to Frank that he, he knows all about Batman. He knows even though he doesn't know who Batman is, he knows that Batman suffered trauma as a child because he reacted as a child, mm-hmm. you know, dressing up as a scary creature, and, and the masks and, and, the, and the gadgets and all the rest of it. And he says, but, but he thinks that Frank Castle's trauma came as an adult because he reacted to it the way a soldier would. And uh, that was basically, you know, that's basically the point I wanted to make, with, in addition to all the shooting and punching and <laughs> the rest of it. <laughs> and also have Batman and, and Punisher face off and, and Batman easily vanquish him, because, mm-hmm. as much as I love Frank Castle, he's not Batman <laughs> uh,
0: there's not, of course as many crossovers as it was in the nineties. Is there a crossover that you would want to pin now that maybe there's two characters that you wouldn't want to see go head to head or have to work together in today's comics
1: i yeah i had uh, I had proposed a uh, Batman Dick Tracy oh. That would have been drawn <laughs> in the style, you know, of the forties,
0: yeah, and uh, because
1: cool. you know um, Dick Sprang and all those guys drew into Chester Gould mood, mm-hmm. mode. I mean, Batman is Batman. It was so much to Dick Tracy from villains to the kind of look of it. And um, King features was crazy about it. DC not so much, so it didn't happen.
0: Oh.
1: and then another one which went all the way up the chain at Warner Brothers was a uh, Batman Dirty Harry. Oh, and cool. but in the end, Clint Eastwood did not want his likeness appearing in a comic book.
0: So, mm. that
1: shot that down. So, those are the two I wanted to do and didn't get to do.
0: Uh, I would have totally read those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, would, I would have just,
1: just written the hell out of them. I would, have just, <laughs> I, would have, I would have been in hog heaven with both of them.
0: Well, even though those two stories... Uh, Probably won't be written. Um, one that I want to jump in now, because like I said, is my favorite, is you co-created Bane. And so I w- want to know um, if you can talk about how the idea and the concept of Bane came about between you and uh, Graham Nolan and just the kind of process that came to how Vengeance of Bane was started in 93.
1: Well, when, when Danny O'Neill presented Nightfall, to, uh, we went on this retreat. Mm-hmm. This fabulous estate. That, you know, you could—they had corporate retreats at, and uh, you know, and then he laid out, you know, one morning the basics, the building blocks of Nightfall, mm-hmm. and um, it, and, it, and it's, it came out exactly the way he laid it out. I mean, and so he laid out the building blocks, and uh, we were there for three days, and at the end of the three days, we, we knew that um, that Batman's back was going to be broken by a new villain because why not? Have a new villain come out of this event, mm-hmm. and that he was Batman's intellectual and physical equal, right. but that his weakness was venom. That was something Denny insisted on that he'd be addicted to venom, so he would have a, fall, a fault, a you know, mm-hmm. flaw. Which great—that's that's what you want in a villain. <laughs> and um, but we didn't go any further than that, and so we sort of had a placeholder for this character who we who who we at the time named Doc Toxic, just so we'd have something to call huh. him. <laughs> Terrible name. <laughs> So then uh, um, like six months later uh we had like a mini summit um and basically the 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 whole idea of it was to make sure we had nailed we were we were all on the same page about things and everything was cruising along well, and also to flesh out this villain mm-hmm. and uh at the beginning of the meeting about the villain, I said, you know. He's going to have to be popular. He's going to have to be a popular character. Which, how do you go about creating a popular character? I mean, right. if we could do it, we'd all be millionaires. And so, <laughs> so I said, you know, I said, you know, Wolverine was was a one-off Hulk villain. um The Punisher was a one-off um, Spider-Man villain. The Silver Surfer was created because Jack Kirby thought Galactus needed somebody to talk to. So these characters are like created. Uh, the spur of the moment on a whim and, and spoiler also is another example and, and you know but it was up to the readers to decide whether they took off and i said and if this character doesn't take off if this villain doesn't take off this whole nightfall thing is, is going to be a farce it's going to fall apart yes yeah. so then he said well if you think it's going to be so damn hard you go home and create it <laughs> so i you know i, I took those parameters uh, physical and intellectual equal and venom and all the rest and I For some reason, I started thinking about the, the Man in the Iron Mask by Alexander Dumas. Someone locked away in a cell, and no one knows who he is. I thought, well, what if he was born in prison? Hmm. You know, uh, serving his father's life sentence, which, you know, I had recently read in North Korea actually happens. So um, from there, I started talking to Graham on the phone, and uh, we decided to put him on Santa Prisca in a prison, which is where Venom came from. And uh, it just sort of all started falling together there to create this monster, you know, uh, who could outwit Batman and outfight Batman and what kind of environment he came from that created him. So he has the same sort of tragic background that Batman has that turns him into this tortured individual, but different. So, and that's 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 where we ended up. And Graham came up with a luchadora look, which, mm-hmm. you know, wow, that click. <laughs> so, because it's so... Yeah, uh, versatile. Yes. You know? But he's instantly recognizable no matter what you put him in as long as he's got that look.
0: Right. So. And after that one shot happened then Nightfall started which was this epic arc and what were you already had it Seems like from what you just said it already is a frame for what what Bane was created for and what he was going to do in systematically taking down Batman but what were the challenges I guess crafting the story arc itself, having Bane's role in it and all the other rogues that he kind of used as almost pawns in breaking Batman down to the climactic Broken Back arc and kind of how was that um, crafting the whole Nightfall story?
1: Well, well, like I said, the Denny's framework was so solid that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we basically, uh, especially at the second summit, um, we, we began breaking down month by month, what had to happen. And um, I remember Jordan Gorfinkel and Scott Peterson at these whiteboards with, with dry markers, <laughs> you know, making these charts and issue numbers and, you know, fit, you know, putting in what had to happen in each issue. And um, so, y- you know, you had me, you had Alan Grant, you had Doug Mensch and we were three guys who, who knew how to meet a deadline, and, mm-hmm. you know, we they'd been working in comics longer than I had, but, you know, I was the, the new kid. But, you know, I was Eager, so um, you know. So, so we laid out what each issue, what had to be accomplished in each issue, where it had to begin, where it had to end, and the rest was up to us. You know, what what business we wanted to do in between, mm-hmm. and um, so we just went from from that those charts and just went home. And you know, I would I would finish my issue to detective, and then Doug would do his issue of Batman, and now we'll do his issue Shadow of Shadow the Bat, and then it went back to me again. And that's the way we did it, and we you know we we all three of us were deadline hounds, we all stayed way ahead of deadline and um you know we had great artists, so it all went very very well I did, you know it all went seamlessly and and it and it goes back to the framework that Danny laid out because all the dramatic highlights were there, all the reveals and surprises and shocks were all just built right into it
0: Is there something about that story that you would change now, or do you think that it just flowed and seemed to fit into the framework of what uh the vision was for i really don't
1: have any regrets on that one i really think it 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 went well i think that's why it caught the attention of so many people Mm -hmm. the only thing we did too well was we made john paul valley so despicable, <laughs> um, people really hated him. So sales went <laughs> fall. You know, when he took over as Batman, they really and and I had cautioned about that because you know uh, some fans at the time thought Batman should be more like the Punisher. I mean, why doesn't he just kill the bad guys? And mm-hmm. and I thought, well, let's present this guy as the as the you know the, the Batman they think they want. You know, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Except you know, we we show that he had to be such a colossal jerk <laughs> to be that way. They, they readers wouldn't like him and of course they they didn't they reacted negatively and they, they, they couldn't stand the guy
0: uh what was it like writing in other batman characters within that arc from tim drake's robin or even when dick grayson would come as nightwing and kind of having other family members play into this story because it seemed like the whole batman universe was involved since it was such a major storyline
1: yeah, I mean that 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 was the fun part because you got these classic characters and they all they all know each other and mm-hmm. there's a familiarity even with the villains and the good guys and even the villains with each other. You know, so you got you know, it was just a, a toy chest of classic characters we got to play with. So um, yeah, it was a dream, absolutely dream come true to do all this stuff and then you know to work variations. I remember asking Alan if I could use the ventriloquist because he. Uh, he created him. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm really going to have some fun with him. And he said, go <laughs> ahead, go ahead. So, you know, because he didn't have uh, Scarface, he had to use his own, one of his own socks for a puppet. and You know, and Alan, Alan, Alan loved all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I had a blast. And, uh, you know, so yeah, all the, all the I mean, it, it, Nightfall succeeded in large part the way any successful Batman crossover succeeds is it had all the classic elements. We, 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 we used everybody. And, and I think that's what readers want to see.
0: Uh, while you were writing Nightfall or once it was completed, did you think that that arc would be as important or as big of a Batman story as it is within the character's history now?
1: No, we were just hoping that <laughs> it would do as well as Death of Superman. Oh,
0: uh, I which,
1: see. Which, you know, it did as well or better. And uh, Because Danny hated things like Death of Superman and <laughs> stunts. And he didn't want this to be a stunt. He mm-hmm. wanted it to be resonant. He wanted it to be important. He wanted to convince the readers that Bruce Wayne wasn't going to be coming back. I mean, even if for a minute, if we could get the cynical comic fans to believe that he really wasn't coming back, mm-hmm. then we would have um, achieved our goal, which I think we did. I think we convinced a lot of people Bruce Wayne was out of action forever and we were making a change. Um, so, um, you know, but I had no idea, absolutely no idea it would have the impact it had. I had no idea that Bane would go on to be what he became, you know, a household name. Yes. I mean, that that never. I just thought, you know, if if we can get this guy to where the readers like him enough that he's a, you know, a B, a, a B grade Batman villain who appears now and again. But the, <laughs> but the fact that he joined the canon of classic Batman villains, mm-hmm. you know, on a permanent basis, I mean, I still can't get my head around it. <laughs>
0: And the character hasn't even been around as long as Joker. It was in 1940. It was in 93. So he's almost 25 years old. And yet, that's one of the villains that's still used in outside media. He was in the animated series in the 90s and even the films of Batman and Robin to the Dark Knight Rises. Um, Did you like those interpretations of Bane in that media? Or did you feel that it kind of didn't hit the mark like the comics did? Or what were your thoughts on those interpretations of the character.
1: I like the animated version, especially the first time Henry Silva did his voice, and mm-hmm. then uh, and then he's had yeah, Michael Dorn has done his voice, Danny Trejo, and the animated versions of I've always been pleased with with every iteration of the animated versions. They, mm-hmm. they seem to get it. Um, the, you know, his first appearance was in a train wreck, Joel Schumacher train wreck. <laughs> so you know uh, he looked great, right? Uh, and I love that scene of him tearing the the, the uh, bat signal out. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, it's awful right. and then dark Knight rises they they brought him back as a, a chess player a mastermind which was good
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um and made him a household name. And that's really what put him over the top. I mean, cartoon fans and comic fans knew who he was, but now everybody right. knew who he was. And, um, you know, Tom Hardy did it. You know, <laughs> Tom, poor Tom Hardy with only half his face. You <laughs> to, to make an impression. I mean, the physicality. That's, that, that was a tough acting gig to put that over. Right. Uh, and seem as cool as he did, but, you know, and, and as big as he did. And But, you know, he did, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And, I, you know, I even like his other, I liked him in the, the Batman Lego movie. Me too. (laughs) Lego's been very kind to me. They use him in everything. They use him in every game, and they're always making (laughs) new figures of him, so thank you, Lego. (laughs)
0: Um, In The Dark Knight Rises, did you visually like the way that Bane looked? It was a little different. The mask was a little different, kind of the, the outer look, or since it's not exactly like in Nightfall, and yet, but intellectually, and the way he schemed, it fit perfectly, but did you like, just in the overall sense, uh, Tom Hardy's portrayal of it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I don't quite understand the mask with the painkillers and things mm-hmm. that didn't quite make sense to me, um, but you know would would he be mentally that sharp if he was constantly great right. sort of an but but uh, but like you said you know he was uh he was the mastermind he was you know his um you know his attitude mm-hmm. is you know this supreme confidence in himself and and all the rest of it, and his competitiveness you know, and yeah that that's bane to a T. this guy <laughs> has got to be the top dog in any room he's in mm-hmm. and and I liked all of that, I liked all of that and uh so yeah, I mean, you know I've got no arguments at all with how he's portrayed in that movie. Um, you know they did, you know because you know they change everything for the movies. That, yeah. the see they do, <laughs> and, and you know, um, the, you know that by far.
0: When Bane is used,
1: he'll it, it, be around. You know, he's gonna be, maybe they'll get him to our classic. So,
0: when Bane is used in other media, are you ever uh, called up or referenced to a? to how they should use Bane or do you just kind of see it whenever it comes out yeah, and I, you're I, just surprised? Yeah, I when everybody else does it. <laughs> Okay. The, the, <laughs> the, only, the
1: only involvement I've ever had on that end was when they were making Batman Forever, mm-hmm. they asked Doug Mans to do an essay on Two-Face and they asked me to do an essay on the Riddler explaining uh. what they were, what their modus operandi was, what what motivated them. And, of course, they didn't use any of it.
0: <laughs> I was just going to say, did it match what... The, exactly.
1: <laughs> No, I, I often say that um, the bat. The, I, I saw Batman Forever and I didn't like it. Uh, a terrible Riddler story, mm. uh, not even a Riddler story. And then the next night I saw Die Hard Three, which was a much better Riddler story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, did, it fit the template that I wrote in the essay for the for the Batman movie.
0: Ah, uh, so, wrong movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well once you were writing uh, Nightfall and you were on the Detective Comics and then in 96 you wrote Nightwing which I just want to say that your Nightwing and Scott McDaniel and everyone who worked on that book that is the Nightwing that I was really first introduced to within comics um, I first read that and then I started work reading other stories with Batman so Nightwing for me that was my first Nightwing the one that I really like even today I've read all different types of Nightwing arcs and that's still my favorite and I want to talk to you a little bit about writing the character and since you're now familiar with writing Tim Drake and more about the Batman family and Dick Grayson's role in it and I'm sure you know about him wanting to have the more mature persona of Nightwing and kind of not necessarily be in Batman's shadow necessarily. And so he's put in a new city of Bloodhaven, which you introduced within this universe. So what was the creative process or your approach to writing this book and kind of having Nightwing be his own hero and have his own identity that's a little separate from Batman, but still kind of having those key elements and the reason why people like Dick Grayson so much with and the universe.
1: Well, I mean, when I came on Nightwing, um, originally Denny O'Neill and Alan Grant were going to write it together and mm. uh, they were overcommitted and so Scott Peterson said, would you, would you like to write it? And I said, yeah, I'd like to I mean, I like the <laughs> character. And he says, well, you know, we're three weeks uh, from needing the script, so you've got to get going now. Mm. And he said, the only thing I want from you, because Scott McDaniel was already part of the deal, he said, the only thing I want, I want a Jackie Chan movie every issue. So... <laughs> you uh, wanted lots of jumping around and kicking and punching so i said fine that's in my wheelhouse and so my approach was well the bloodhaven was building as well but i had to create bloodhaven i what what was the nature of this town mm-hmm. you know what was it like that was a lot of fun creating that and uh you know how was it different from Gotham? for sort of a low rent crappy you know town that's over you know, mm-hmm. it's been over for 50 years but everybody still lives there right. and uh <laughs> you know I, I i used a couple of towns that i am familiar with, sort of, put them all together to make Bloodhaven. And, um, and the, uh, the other aspect was, you know, he, he, could, he couldn't be Batman-like. He couldn't be Batman light he could not be batman junior He had to be mm-hmm. different. And so uh, I made conscious decisions about how he talked. I, he, he said, gonna and wanna. He talked far less formally than Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne did. And um, he was also, well, and, he, and this was built into Robin from the beginning, Dick Grayson and Robin from the beginning. He's more impetuous than Batman. Mm-hmm. He's more of a natural Batman. Batman had to become Batman. Right. It was Robin just had taught. to put on a costume. <laughs> Dick Grayson had to put on a costume. He already knew all the trapeze stuff. He was right. Already an athlete. Yes. So, so I, I, I leaned into that as well. That he's a natural. He mm-hmm. Nothing's going to hold this guy back. Mm-hmm. And uh just sort of ran from there, you know. And he was, um, you know, more of a, uh, not more of a ladies' man. He's I mean, not like a womanizer, but he was. He had a more natural relationship with women than mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne did and uh i you know I dealt with a lot of that, so you know he was a you know young single guy out in his own so right. uh so I, I I played with that and and he was more he was also um uh, not as much as Tim Drake, but he was also interested in having a private life, a life of outside of being like way more so than bruce
0: wayne right so, it seems like with Dick Grayson, he could form better relationships, at least personal relationships, than Bruce could. And I think yeah. that's part of the appeal that our people like reading Nightwing or any story that Dick Grayson's in, because with Batman, you can kinda tell, okay, he he probably won't have a successful romantic relationship and when time he has, it's something tragic. Right. But it seems more even if Dick Grayson's a little bit more flirtatious or but he can easily talk to women, and it seems like he can have that personal relationship with other people, which I think is one of the reasons why he's such a fun character to read. So, was that aspect really fun for you to write? Because it's he you have a little bit more freedom, it feels like, to write with Nightwing than yeah, maybe Batman. Yeah, he, he
1: was certainly more charming, mm-hmm. uh, and he had more of a like I said, he had more of a private life because the Nightwing book. You know, a lot of it was his private life as Dick Grayson. Right. Um, you know, where he lived and who he interacted with. And it mm-hmm. also made him more, uh, pragmatic than Batman. He was less romantic about things, uh, like, um, his car. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he realized I don't have a Batcave, cave, so I need a car that <laughs> look normal parked in a parking space. Right. So that's why he picked, you know, this, this muscle car with, you know, primer painted mm-hmm. on it and stuff. Um, you know, like that that he made. And, um, you know, yeah yeah, there was a, there was a lot of freedom there mm-hmm. um and then, as i said the town the town was so much fun to create and then on, and then a new cast of villains because i didn't want him facing off against batman right Rogue. he
0: had his own rogues gallery
1: right right so we scott and i built a rose gallery for him pretty quickly
0: what was one of your favorite villains for nightwing that you both created
1: um tad Ryerstad is my favorite because <laughs> he wants he, he's so He's such a pathetic creep, because, <laughs> you know, he wants to be a hero, but he doesn't have the moral compass to be a hero. Right. He doesn't understand. He just thinks it's being cool and beating people up. It's like, mm-hmm. no, there's actually more to it than that. And uh, it's just so pathetic, him, you know, imitating uh, Nightwing to the point where he doesn't even spell his name right. <laughs> so uh, I just, I just, I, I really like that character, because he's just a sick little creep. <laughs> <laughs> And there was just just so much to write about. Everything the guy did was just, he's just such a big loser. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) You said that you had a lot of fun creating uh, Bloodhaven, and you had a lot of different um, inspirations from different cities. What were some of the cities, whether it's real or fictional, that uh, came into making?
1: Well, there's a town just North of Philadelphia, called Manayunk. It's this nice little town, mm-hmm. um, and you know, sort of like artsy. I haven't been mean, there in years, but it was like an artsy community. And it was a blue collar town at one time. But, but 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 part of the peculiarity about Manayunk was that the the uh, the turnpike ran by it, and a canal ran by it, and a river ran by it, and a train ran by it, but never stopped there.
0: Mm. <laughs> there was
1: no real exit off of the turnpike <laughs> to Manayunk. You sort of had to get off another road. So I thought, that'd be cool, a town that everything bypasses, which is why when you see Bloodhaven, there's all these overpasses right to the center of town, mm-hmm. you know, and no exits. There's no, cause nobody <laughs> wants to get off there. And then uh, Camden, which is uh, across the river from Philadelphia, which is uh, just not a nice place. Um, <laughs> I I saw the parish priest for Camden uh, interviewed once, and he was this old Irish guy, like right out of an old movie. Mm-hmm. And they asked him how he ended up in Camden, and he says, well, it was this or hell. So I thought, well... <laughs> <laughs> That's Camden. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, just a town where just the, the leadership just failed decades ago. So, so it was but the two of them sort of mashed together hmm. to, to create Bloodhaven.
0: I can see that now from, <laughs> from what you describe. Like that perfectly fits. <laughs> so, well, before we even talk about other books that you've written, you wrote a lot of books simultaneously, um, especially Batman books. Um, did the storylines ever get crossed or you was it ever difficult to keep them in line since you're writing different books all at once or was it relatively easy because they all had their own distinct style or was it were there challenges with that
1: well i i tend to stay way ahead of schedule mm-hmm. on books so i would have an opportunity to write you know if i was writing a four issue arc in detective i would just write all four issues in a row mm. uh because you know i it, it, bob greenberger used to send out the deadline sheets and a couple of months i didn't get one And i said bob what's on? i haven't gotten a deadline sheet because they're irrelevant to you <laughs> by the time you get them you've already written everything on the deadline sheet, so why bother so when i got to nightwing uh i wrote the whole first year oh, wow. one after the other the first 12 issues one after the other <laughs> which really was great and i got so far ahead of scott that that we were able to go back you know i was able to go back and rewrite things and make oh. sure it all works seamlessly as one big year long story mm-hmm. and uh... you know it's an opportunity that you don't get very often and um, so that's that's the way it would work and i would just and you know my wife can tell you i basically lived in gotham all the time <laughs> because i was just, just constantly in that world and completely immersed in it and loving every minute of it but you know it never seemed like work to me but that's how i would do it stay ahead i, I tell everybody stay at, way ahead of schedule and you're never going to run into any problems, and then you're not going to run into this block or anything else, because there's really no pressure on you at that point.
0: Well, at least it's not like work. <laughs> it's just no, it's not, it's never, very never effortless. Felt like, <laughs> never felt like work. Um, when we were doing Nightwing, you also introduced the Birds of Prey, which is one of my favorite books. And so where did the idea come from for the team of Birds of Prey with Oracle and Black Canary? And then why did you want to have a focus on those two heroes headlined the team? And then eventually Huntress comes to make that trio. Uh, where did that idea uh, kind of come from?
1: Um, you still there? Yes, hello? Sorry, I heard a click. Um, Yeah, Birds of Prey was the brainchild of Jordan Um, Mm Gorfinkel. He came up with the idea that Black Canary and and Barbara Gordon would make a great team. Mm -hmm. And he tried to convince me, and at first he couldn't, for a long time he couldn't convince me. I said, they got nothing in common. Black Canary just had a book canceled, and, Mm -hmm. and I don't think Oracle can carry a book on her own, and blah, blah, blah. And finally, he said, just try it, just try it. And he begged me. In the we of move on with the writer. He's just convinced I was the one to do it. And uh, within about six years of that,
0: some of your i guess favorite storylines once you were into birds of prey you see that this is a great book and a lot of people or at least it seemed like a lot of the readers were into this heroin team which there weren't really a lot <laughs> during this time so what were some of your favorite storylines with writing um with oracle and black canary and huntress
1: i, I, I like that early story with with the greg land drew, mm-hmm. and, drew, and drew geraci was um where they meet uh Guy Gardner's clone, which I had introduced mm-hmm. over in Guy Gardner, I thought that was kind of cool, and it was the beginning of the kind of stories that were typical of Birds of Prey—that mm-hmm. they were always getting involved with something, not really having enough intel, and, and sometimes finding out, know, "Hey, we're on the wrong side," or <laughs> you know, there's all these unintended consequences because they sort of jumped in without really understanding. Because yeah, I like to show the fallibility of Oracle—that yeah, just because you're all connected to databases, it doesn't mean you know really what's going on, which I. Lesson for all of us, you know the internet isn't always right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and then it would be Black Canary would have to work her way out of it, which I thought worked for the characters because you know they both had a part to play, mm-hmm. and, and Black Canary wasn't just following Oracle's orders. Sometimes she was just getting herself out of the trouble that Oracle had gotten her into, and uh, so I like that. I like I liked uh, uh, Hunt for Oracle, and I really like uh, where they go back in time. Uh, to the the um, the new world during when the Vikings were here, the Butch guy's drew and mm-hmm. I, I just love that arc because the the artist is so freaking gorgeous and I got the right Viking prince, which is a character I've always liked. So uh, and I got to do a lot of research on the Algonquin language and things like that. So <laughs> um, you know, crazy stuff like that. But you know, that's that's the kind of thing they would let me get away with. But yeah, it was a great run. I love those characters and you know, Jordan was right. The chemistry between them just wrote itself.
0: Mm-hmm. So you also have written other Batman uh, female characters from uh, Catwoman to uh, Batgirl and um, what was that experience like writing those characters and which figure was your favorite to write about?
1: Um, I think I write, liked writing Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Well even though it isn't easy. The easiest is Catwoman, uh <laughs> simply because she's one of the few comic book characters who actually likes herself. <laughs> uh she's very happy with what she does and she's comfortable in her own skin, which is unusual for a comic book character a costume, mm-hmm. you know, hero. And uh also you know, I got to write all these heist stories. I love heist stories. So, you know, and writing about a thief was a change of pace. And then Batgirl just, you know, is just a terrific character um you know um uh you know coming out as the underdog and batman not really wanting her to be around and things like that so mm-hmm. um you know and, and back Earlier year one which i did with scott Beatty, was just that was a you know dream project yes and um you know and scott and i had such a tremendous working relationship that you know to this day neither one of us can remember who or what <laughs> uh because it was just sort of an organic we'd write each other at the corners and stuff and uh so, yeah, I mean, I, I have an affinity for writing the female characters. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it was because I grew up with two older sisters. <laughs> um, you know, and you know, like I said, the, the female characters are so often the underdog mm-hmm. uh, because they're underestimated. And I always like the the uh, you-don't-know-who-you're-messing-with story, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'll push her around. She's just a girl. Now she's a bad girl. <laughs> she's going to kick your ass. I mean, everybody <laughs> loves a story like that. <laughs>
0: So, from all the different uh, publications that we've discussed, you have written so many different books from being involved in big arcs, even like Cataclysm and No Man's Land, to having different one-shots like Batman the Chalice and others. So, what has been some of your favorite Batman stories that have you written over the years?
1: Um, I really love Detective Annual 7, which was the pirate one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Because I, I I got to work with a friend of mine, tike Acatena. He's an Argentine artist, and uh, I knew he would bring that Howard Pyle illustrative, Golden Age of illustration look to it, and he mm-hmm. did in 150 percent. It's 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 one of those projects that turned out just as fantastic as I thought it was going to be because his art is so terrific and then just you know i love pirates everybody loves pirates <laughs> uh, but everybody loves pirates everybody loves batman what's better than batman pirate so um you know we did that we did a follow-up to it later a 10-pager and uh that was just the joy to work on and but so many of them i did a, a Blackgate special with joe staten and and joe staten got to show off his film noir muscles uh you know uh, you know what a prison story mm-hmm. and um you know, but but so many of them. Batman Predator 3 was a oh. joy to work with. Uh, <laughs> Rodolfo DiMaggio, I love Predator. Uh, I, I campaigned to get that one done uh, because I just thought Rodolfo would knock it out of the park, which, of mm-hmm. course, he did. So, you know, it's it, I wrote a lot about it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. But, but, you know, I have too many favorites to name. And, you know, working with friends, you know, and becoming friends. I mean, Graham and I were friends already, getting to collaborate with him. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Lyle, um... Saz Johnson, all the great... Jim Balan, just the great guys to work with.
0: So, having worked within the Batman mythos and practically working on every character, why do you think that Batman is still as popular as ever today in comics, in and out of comics?
1: Well, it's a wish-fulfillment fantasy because, like Superman, he's a self-made man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like anybody could be Batman if they just worked hard enough at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that part of it. There's the... He's rich, that's that's always cool. That's another part of the wish fulfillment. <laughs> and, then, you know, Bob Kane and Bill Finger sort of cobbled them together from a lot of characters, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Sherlock Holmes and things like that. They sort of distilled it down to the, the S hero, and then Bill Finger came up with that awesome costume, <laughs> so, which is really hard to beat, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. That that costume is, I mean, he's one of the few characters you can tell him silhouette and you can do almost anything to that costume and it still looks like batman
0: right i mean he can
1: you know, be a pirate he can be a spaceman he can be anything uh you can put him in any century and it's like he's it's still batman mm-hmm. so you know the, the appeal is undeniable uh and the whole at least knows something about batman
0: uh, so you said that working with Graham Nolan has been one of the more enjoyable things um, on the Batman book. And right now, one of your latest stories is uh, Bane Conquest. So from what we can know and some, from some of the books that are out now, can you talk a little bit about the limited series and uh, kind of coming back to the Bane character that you guys created?
1: No time had passed. I mean, like we didn't miss a step. We just started back because we'd always wanted to explore the character more and then we got you know 12 issues to do so and we decided to do it in the form of a, of, of a monster gangster epic mm-hmm. um, you know one big long story with arcs you know it's built from arcs but it's still one continuous story about Bane deciding to basically just brand a global and, <laughs> and uh, become, you know, well, I, as I said, he's competitive. So mm-hmm. he's going to take himself to the top of the the, the underworld of the entire planet. Mm-hmm. And and that's his mission. And, uh, you know, his gang goes along with him. And, you know, it's, um, you know, typical gangster stuff, rivalries and hits and robberies and, you know, all the rest of it, you know, you know hyped up to a uh, DC Comics level. And uh, it's, it's been an absolute blast to work on. Graham and I are having a terrific time.
0: <laughs> awesome. Can you tell us about other future projects that you can tell us that you're working on, whether it's Batman or non-Batman related?
1: Um, I've got a, a creator own thing coming out next year. Scott Beatty and I wrote it together called Unprepped. It's a survivalist comedy. It's coming out from IDW. Awesome. Uh, it's uh, like sort of an apocalyptic s- comedy. You know So uh it's kinda hard to describe but it it's it, it's it's fun. And then I uh you know, I I also write novels that are available on Amazon. I write a time travel series called Bad Times and I write about a uh vigilante uh, justice, you know, kind of guy uh called Levon Cade. And they're both available on Amazon. And um, and I just signed to do, do a bunch of projects I can't talk about yet.
0: Uh, that's fine.
1: <laughs> oh, I, did, I did a graphic novel for the U.S. Navy that'll be out sometime next year. Oh, cool. Oh, the, the Bridge at Dong Ha. It's a true story about a, a Marine in Vietnam.
0: Well, cool. okay. Uh, where can everyone uh, listening find you and your body of work online, whether it's your website or social media?
1: Well, they go to net, mm-hmm. or they can find, I have a Chuck Dixon author page on Facebook. Awesome and uh you know, find me there, or just or just google me
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm, type I'm, I'm in only your name we're out there right explosion of all these amazing Batman stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for coming on the show, and this being a podcast called History of the Batman, the many Batman stories that you 've written are important to the evolution of the character, and it was wonderful having. Some insight on the stories and the characters you've created, um, and bringing to life this mythology. So, thank you so much.
1: Oh no, it was was great fun. (laughs) uh, I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Well, I am very happy I was able to talk to Chuck Dixon because I love the insight that he gave about Bane and the fact that he was inspired by uh, The Man in the Iron Mask because I love to have parallels between Batman's fiction and classic literature. So that was a treat for me. And I hope that everyone listening... Uh, if you have read his Nightwing or his Tim Drake's Robin or any of the other countless stories that he's written since the early 90s have enjoyed what he said about the books and maybe if you haven't read many of the stories we talked about you can read them yourself you can pick them up either on DC Comics website or any of the digital comics platforms or apps you can pick up like you said on Amazon or eBay or anywhere you can go and buy books so most if not all I believe of his work is in trade paperbacks or you can buy them in singular comics but the large stories like Nightfall or No Man's Land or any of his arcs on Nightwing they're in trade so you could pick up Batgirl Year One and Robin and Nightfall and Cataclysm and No Man's Land and his Catwoman series Birds of Prey just the countless stories and right now in his 12 issue series Bang Conquest that he's doing with Graham Nolan. I believe he's on issue 6 right now and the rest of it will come out next year so you can catch up on that series and we will have more guests like Chuck Dixon and other Batman history soon on this podcast so I thank everyone for listening. If you have a topic or questions or comments or anything like that you want to shoot to me you can always email me at history of the batman at gmail.com you can follow her to the batman on instagram facebook twitter at hist of the batman and tumblr and check me out on youtube on dc comics dc fans youtube and yes if you have a topic that you want me to talk about for the show you can always email me or you just want to say hi you can always email me at historyofthebatman at gmail.com. So thank you guys so much for listening. And remember, it's all about peace, love, and Batman.